It's Success Happens on 930 WFMD, blending business and politics. Success Happens with your host, Jen Charlton. Good morning and welcome to Success Happens. This is Jen and it is great to be with you today. I am um, excited to share with you some information and and it's actually been a wow eye-opener and I want to get to know somebody who's an expert. You know, one of the questions has been, well, why does Jen talk about this stuff? You know, it's success happens, right? Blending business and politics. And right now we are dealing with like no other time in history, in my opinion, this notion that politics is driven by money and money is facilitated by politics. And bureaucracy. So you're going to learn about that today in a very deep and meaningful way. And when you look at the interaction between pharmaceuticals and government and how it's causing each of us to alter our lives, or if we don't, there's some ramification. So we're a free society. We're in a conundrum right now. Who's running the show here? If indeed elections matter and your vote counts, then you are somebody whose voice is supposed to be driving what's happening here as a free society through your votes. Another show, election integrity, but it's all intertwined. So today we're going to focus on something. I'm going to play the last cut and then we're going to go back to the beginning and we're going to talk about who this guy is. So people have said, Jen, why are you covering this? You're not an expert and science, not even close, right? I'm a music person. But this guy's an expert. He's an expert on patents. He's an expert on pharmaceuticals. I've tried to reach out to him. I was unable to reach him. So we're going to play this cut that is an interview with international experts about what's going on in the pharmaceutical industry today. So for those who want to live in the illusion that somehow or another... That's the end of the story. Be prepared for a greater disappointment because somebody knew something in 2015 and 2016, which gave rise to my favorite quote of this entire pandemic. And by that, I'm not being cute. My favorite quote of this pandemic was a statement made in 2015 by Peter Daszak. The statement that was made by Peter Daszak in 2015, reported in the National Academies of Press publication, February 12th, 2016. And I'm quoting, we need to increase public understanding of the need for medical countermeasures, such as a pan-coronavirus vaccine. A key driver is the media and the economics will follow the hype. We need to use that hype to our advantage to get to the real issues. Investors will respond if they see profit at the end of the process, end quote. That's quite shocking because I thought that... Let me me just read that again, just because I don't know if I might get lost in translation. So let me just go ahead and read it slowly. And as Americans love to do when speaking to a multilingual audience, maybe I should say it louder. I won't. (laughs) We need to increase public understanding of the need for medical countermeasures 
such as a pan-coronavirus vaccine. A key driver is the media, and the economics will follow the hype. We need to use that hype to our advantage to get to the real issues. Investors will respond if they see profit at the end of the process, end quote. coronavirus vaccine. This has nothing to do with a pathogen that was released and every study that's ever been launched to try to verify a lab leak is a red herring. So welcome to Success Happens. This is going to be epic. And for many of you, this is going to create cognitive dissonance. If you or people you love have had the vaccine, Because for people who have chosen that, maybe it was appropriate, okay? But for others who felt coerced into it, it may not have been, and now they're stuck with something, okay? So we're we're trying to inform you about what's going on. Who this gentleman is David E. Martin, and he is an expert in pharmaceutical, but really in innovation. So I'm going to, rather than tell you about him, I want you to hear from himself who he is. Here you go. From a corporate standpoint, um, we have, since 1998, been the world's largest underwriter of intangible assets used in finance in 168 countries. So in the majority of the countries around the world, um, our underwriting systems, which include the entire corpus of all patents, patent applications, federal grants, procurement records, e-government records, etc. We have the ability to not only track what is happening and who is involved in what's happening, but we monitor a series of thematic interests um, for a variety of, of organizations and, and individuals, as well as for our own commercial use. Because as you probably know, we maintain um, three global equity indices, which are um, the the top performing large cap and mid cap equity indexes worldwide. So our business is to monitor the innovation that's happening around the world and specifically to monitor the economics of that innovation, the degree to which, um, you know, financial interests are being served you know, corporate interests are being dislocated, et cetera. So our, our business is the business of innovation and its finance. Obviously, from the this, this standpoint of this um, presentation, as you know, uh, we have reviewed the over 4,000 patents that have been issued around SARS coronavirus. Um, and we have done a very comprehensive review of the financing 
of all of the manipulations of coronavirus, which gave rise to SARS as a subclade of the beta coronavirus family. And so what I wanted to do was give you a quick overview timeline wise, because we're not going to go through 4,000 uh, patents on this conversation, but I have sent to you and your team a, a document that is exceptionally important. This was made public in the spring of 2020. Yes. Um, this document, which, which you do have and can be posted in the public record, um, is, is quite critical in that we took the reported gene sequence which was reportedly isolated as a novel coronavirus, indicated as such by the ICTV, the International Committee on Taxonomy of Viruses of the World Health Organization. We took the actual genetic sequences that were reportedly novel and reviewed those against the patent records that were available um, as of the spring of 2020. And what we found, as you'll see in this report, are over 120 patented pieces of evidence to suggest that the declaration of a novel coronavirus was actually entirely a fallacy. There was no novel coronavirus. There are countless very subtle uh, modifications of coronavirus sequences that have been uploaded. But there was no single identified novel coronavirus at all. As a matter of fact, we found records in the patent records of sequences attributed to novelty going to patents that were sought as early as 1999. So not only was this not a novel anything, it's actually not only not been novel, it's it's not been novel for over two decades. Okay, this is Jen. So who you're listening to is Dr. David E. Martin. He's a PhD. He's the CEO of MCAM Inc., which is an international leader of intellectual property-based financial risk management. So what he does is innovation. What he's dealing with in these this video that's an hour and 20 minutes long, and I'm giving you excerpts of it, is that there was no innovation in these patents. So we're going to keep plowing through this. I want you guys to hear what he's saying because it's really important that we deal with, was this indeed a pandemic that hit us by surprise? And you're listening to Dr. David E. Martin. I'll take you on a very short journey through the patent landscape to make sure people understand what happened. But as you know, up until 1999, the topic of coronavirus vis-a-vis the patenting activity around coronavirus was uniquely applied to veterinary sciences. The first vaccine ever patented for coronavirus was actually sought by Pfizer the application for the 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 um, the first um, vaccine for coronavirus, which was specifically this S spike protein. So the exact same thing that allegedly we have rushed into invention. Um, the first application was filed January 28th, 2000, 21 years 
ago. Um, so the idea that we we mysteriously stumbled on um, the, the the way to intervene on vaccines is not only ludicrous, it, it is incredulous. Okay, you're listening to David E. Martin, who is an expert on all things relating to the history and the evolution of this coronavirus, the pharmaceuticals to deal with it. And what you're going to learn is that there's some things that were impossible to occur the way we've been told that it happened. What do I want to say? There has been an enormous uh, misinformation attack on us that has put us very vulnerable. So I want to keep educating us by an expert, not me. So we're going to give you the link to go see the full video after the show once we upload it to podcast. Okay, so coming back, we're going to talk about where did Fauci hit into all this? Rise to the obvious evidence that says that neither the coronavirus concept of a vaccine nor the principle of the coronavirus itself um, as a pathogen of interest with respect to the spike protein's behavior is anything uh, novel at all. As a matter of fact, it's 22 years old um, based on patent filings. What's more problematic and what is um, actually the most egregious uh, problem is that Anthony Fauci and NIAID found the malleability of coronavirus to be a potential candidate for HIV vaccines. And so SARS is actually not a natural progression of a zoonetic modification of coronavirus. As a matter of fact, very specifically in 1999, Anthony Fauci funded research at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, specifically to create, and you cannot, you cannot help but, but you know, lament what I'm about to read because this comes directly from a patent application filed on April 19th, 2002. And you heard the date correctly, 2002, where the NIAID built an infectious replication defective coronavirus that was specifically targeted for human lung epithelium. In other words, we made SARS. Okay. We made SARS. There you heard it from an expert. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Success Happens. I'd like to thank our sponsors. Sweeties on the Creek, we're scooping now. KW Photography and Design, a great designer. Check out Kira Wynn. And also Flamingo Pool Supplies. We'll be right back. Success Happens is brought to you in part by Flamingo Pool Supply, Industry Lane Frederick. The best for your pool today. Welcome back to Success Happens. This is Jen, and we are listening to Dr. David E. Martin, an expert in innovation and patents, specifically in the biospace. So I want you to get to know him so you really understand the enormity of who this guy is as an expert, because it has a bearing on everything we're playing today. We're going to learn a little bit further about 
what they thought in the early days might become a bioweapon. Here we go. My organization was asked to monitor biological and chemical weapons treaty violations in the very early days of 2000. You'll remember the anthrax uh, events in September of 2001. And we were part of an investigation that gave rise to the congressional inquiry into not only the anthrax origins, but also into what was unusual behavior around Bayer's um, ciprofloxacin drug, which was a drug used as a potential treatment uh, for anthrax poisoning. And throughout the fall of 2001, we began monitoring an enormous number of bacterial and viral pathogens that were being patented through NIH, NIAID, U.S. AMRID, the U.S. Armed Services um, Infectious Disease Program, and a number of other agencies internationally that collaborated with them. And our concern was that coronavirus was being seen as not only a potential manipulatable agent for um, potential use as a vaccine vector, but it was also very clearly being considered as a biological weapon candidate. Um, and so our first public reporting on this took place prior to the SARS outbreak um, in the latter part of 2001. So you can imagine how disappointed I am to be sitting here 20 years later, having 20 years earlier pointed that there was a problem looming on the horizon with respect to coronavirus. You've been listening to Dr. David Martin, and he is an expert on coronavirus, its evolution, as well as the vaccine being developed. This audio comes from a Zoom inquiry by the German Corona Inquiry Committee, and it was formed in July of 2020. And it's a collection of international experts. It's interesting to note that July of 2021, this video was created, 357,000 views, but not millions. So I just learned about this. Why is that? This is media being blocked and the truth being withheld from we the people, and it's not okay. Success Happens is brought to you in part by Flamingo Pool Supply, Industry Lane Frederick, the best for your pool today. Welcome back to Success Happens. This is Jen, and we are listening to a video conference that was done in July of uh, 21. I want to take us back to Dr. David Martin, and he's going to talk about the 2002 SARS outbreak, which has a bearing on where we ended up with uh, the novel coronavirus. Here we go. The alleged outbreak that took place in China in 2002 going into 2003 gave rise to a very problematic April 2003 filing by the United States Center for Disease Control and Prevention. And this topic is of critical importance to get the nuance very precise. Because in addition to filing the entire gene sequence on what became SARS coronavirus, 
which is actually a violation of 35 U.S. Code Section 101. You cannot patent a naturally occurring substance. Um, the 35 U.S. Code Section 101 violation was patent number 7220852. Now, that patent also had a series of derivative patents associated with it. These are, are patent applications that were broken apart because they were of multiple patentable subject matter. But these include U.S. Patent 4659-2703P, which is actually a very interesting designation. U.S. Patent 776 521, that is 7776521. These patents not only covered the gene sequence of SARS coronavirus, but also covered the means of detecting it using RT-PCR. Now, the reason why that's a problem is if you actually both own the patent on the gene itself, and you own the patent on its detection, you have a cunning advantage to being able to control 100% of the provenance of not only the virus itself, but also its detection. Meaning you have entire scientific and message control. And this patent sought by the CDC was allegedly justified by their public relations team as being sought so that everyone would be free to be able to research coronavirus. The only problem with that statement is it's a lie. Huh. And the reason why it's a lie is because the patent office not once but twice rejected the patent on the gene sequence as unpatentable because the gene sequence was already in the public domain. In other words, Prior to CDC's filing for a patent, the patent office found 99.9% .9 identity with the already existing coronavirus recorded in the public domain. And over the rejection of the patent examiner, and after having to pay an appeal fine in 2006 and 2007, the CDC overrode the patent office's rejection of their patent and ultimately in 2007 got the patent on SARS coronavirus. Wow. So every public statement that CDC has made that said that this was in the public interest is falsifiable by their own paid bribe to the patent office. This is not something that's subtle and to make matters worse, they paid an additional fee to keep their application private Last time I checked, if you're trying to make information available for the public research, you would not pay a fee to keep the information private. Okay, so so begins the cover-up, right? So this is really in the weeds, you guys, and I know that you're probably saying, what the heck? I've listened to this thing now about four times. So you're going to want to go out and you're going to, download this podcast and you're going to listen to it again. And we're going to also give you the link 
on the on the uh, setup on the page on the podcast page to go to the full hour and twenty minute. Okay, but just stay with us because this next piece is really important because we're starting to look at evidence of criminal conspiracy, racketeering, and collusion, which is otherwise known as RICO. So let's play that cut. Is on the 28th of April, and listen to the date very carefully because this date is problematic. Three days after CDC filed the patent on the SARS coronavirus in 2003, three days later, Sequoia Pharmaceuticals, a company that was set up in Maryland, Sequoia Pharmaceuticals on the 28th of April, 2003, filed a patent on antiviral agents of treatment and control of infections by coronavirus. CDC filed three days earlier, and then the treatment was available three days later. Now, hold that thought for a second. So let's hold that thought for a second. Here's the deal. There is no way they couldn't uh, already know because there's no way to develop a treatment in three days. Let that sink in. They were working together. That's pretty shocking, right? Let's take a listen at the rest of it. Question, because Sequoia Pharmaceuticals and ultimately Ablinx Pharmaceuticals became rolled into the proprietary holdings of Pfizer, Crucell, and Johnson & Johnson. Wow. So ask yourself a simple question. How would one have a patent on a treatment for a thing that had been invented three days earlier? Yeah. The patent in question, the April 28th, 2003 patent, 7151163, issued to Sequoia Pharmaceuticals, has another problem. The problem is it was issued and published before the CDC patent on coronavirus was actually allowed. So the degree to which the information could have been known by any means other than insider information between those parties is zero. It is not physically possible for you to patent a thing that treats a thing that had not been published because CDC had paid to keep it secret. Okay, there you have it. The inside scoop. So you're listening to Success Happens. This is David E. Martin, Dr. Martin, an expert, a genius on all things relating to these patents and the evolution of the coronavirus and its treatments, as well as the, uh, quote, vax. You know what they always say, follow the money. You got to follow the money. And if people are colluding and working together and cheating the system, invariably it's for two things, money and power, money and power. And the only reason why you have power is so you get more money. (laughs) So I want to introduce my dad to you. You all know my dear old dad, Walter Charlton, and he is an attorney. He's admitted to the Supreme Court. 
He has experience in such things. And dad, would you please first start by explaining to people what is a RICO case? First of all, what does it stand for and what in essence is it? RICO is racketeering influence and conspiracy. It was originally set up to take out the mob. And here we are talking about RICO in the federal government, which frankly doesn't surprise me a bit because I've been dealing with that for 30 years. Okay, so explain to people what constitutes a RICO case. So we've heard about it through some of the work that Giuliani's done. I think he brought to light the whole idea of RICO cases. Would you explain to the listeners, insofar as it relates to this issue with the coronavirus, SARS, and and all of the different pharmaceutical companies who are supposed to be operating independently? RICO is a section of the law that is probably the most complicated thing there is. It takes care of all the loose ends and gives the federal government power through the courts, if they want to do it, to take care of all conspiracies, lies, cheating, stealing, and murder, etc. It's a blockbuster of a law, and no one is truly an expert in that. It's just too complicated. Okay, so when you look at what you just heard here about the various pharmaceutical companies working together, some might say, but, you know, we had a big pandemic and we were really afraid and we needed everybody to collaborate. So where is the difference between collaboration and collusion? Well, collusion is is illegal. Collaboration is good. That's very simple. But what we're talking about here is killing people for money by the millions. It ought to be shocking. Well, it is shocking. And I think that there are a lot of people who believe that they did the right thing. They developed a vaccine. Uh, We won't even get into the negative impacts of that vaccine. Right now, we're just dealing with what did they know when? And how did that impact their ability to make a bunch of money? So right now, I think the numbers, you were actually sharing with us that the numbers for these uh, pharmaceutical companies are in the billions this year. Oh, many, many billions. And they're not looking at this as a one-time event. This is a continuation of the next 10 years of shots everybody's going to have to take or die, they think. But it's all fake. Well, so for some people, they feel like in the elderly community, for example, that it's important that they have the vax and that they're protected. I think we can get into the efficacy of it some other day. What we're talking about right now, and we'll have doctors on to talk about it, because one of the things we want to do is we want to make sure we have experts talking about the things that they're experts on. So you're an expert on the law and you're an expert on um, uh, conspiracies and so forth. What do you think... Where does this leave us and where does it lead us in terms of, I guess what I want to ask is, how do we make sure that we're not doing things for the benefit of pharmaceutical companies that are harming people right and left? Well, from everything I've found out, 
when you take the shot, you compromise your own immune system. That's bad, not good. We are turning into a bunch of sheeple. That's what they want us to be. Okay. All right. So, everybody, I want to finish with a couple more cuts by Dr. David Martin as he was speaking to the German Corona Inquiry Committee on July 9th of 2021. You definitely want to hear this entire uh, video. It's an hour and 20 minutes. And even the professionals in the room were shocked to learn what Dr. Martin was sharing with them because he has traced, uh, as an expert in patents in biotech, the history of the evolution of the coronavirus going back to 1999. There was no outbreak of SARS because we had engineered all of the elements of that and by 2016, the paper that was funded during the gain-of-function moratorium that said that the SARS coronavirus was poised for human emergence, written by none other than Ralph Barrick, was not only poised for human emergence, but it was patented for commercial exploitation. 73 times. Isn't, didn't uh, Ralph Barrick, I think I saw a video clip with him giving a speech in which he explicitly told the audience that you can make a lot of money with this. Yes, you can. And he has made a lot of money doing this. So follow the money. There's a theme here. There's a lot of money being made in pharmaceutical. Now, I'm a businesswoman. I believe in making money. I believe in hiring people in order to make money. We are a capitalistic society. But where that breaks down is when they're lying to you, saying that you've got a new thing come on the horizon no one knew about, and they are expecting you to buy into the notion that unless you play their game their way, well, frankly, the threats are you're going to die, right? You're going to die from the coronavirus. And so what we know is it's a 0.003% on average death rate. So they blew this whole story up in order to what? Begs the question, was it about making money in the pharmaceutical space? Begs the question. So we're going to listen to a final cut here, and I just want to acknowledge Ryan, is my engineer, and he's just fabulous working us through these different pieces. And it is complicated, but it's worth doing your homework. And listen to the experts. Don't trust me. Go and find the information that's going to empower you to make an informed choice and understand the reasons behind what's going on. Really? 73 patents on everything clinically novel. 73 all issued before 2019. And I'm going to give you the biggest bombshell of all to prove that this was actually not a release of anything because patent 7279327, the patent on the recombinant nature of that lung targeting coronavirus, 
was transferred mysteriously from the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, to the National Institutes of Health in 2018. Now, here's the problem with that. Under the Bayh-Dole Act, the U.S. government already has what's called a march-in right provision. That means if the U.S. government has paid for research, they are entitled to benefit from that research at their demand or at their whim. So explain why in 2017 and 2018, suddenly the National Institutes of Health have to take ownership of the patent that they already had rights to held by the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. And how, how did they need to file a certificate of correction to make sure that it was legally enforceable because there was a typographical error in the grant reference in the first filing. So they needed to make sure that not only did they get it right, but they needed to make sure every typographical error that was contained in the patent was correct. On the single patent required to develop the Vaccine Research Institute's mandate, which was shared between the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill in November of 2019 and Moderna in November of 2019 when UNC Chapel Hill, NIAID and Moderna began the sequencing of a spike protein vaccine a month before an outbreak ever happened. You have all the evidence, right? Yep. So it's all about money. So hype to drive investments. So media is being used to hype this situation so that we are driven to comply. Now, I don't know about you guys, but you could probably ask my dad if I'm somebody who complies. (laughs) I usually buck the system if it doesn't make sense. You know, on some, some level, we know intuitively, don't we? When they're blocking YouTube videos, next week, I'm going to have on with me the Google whistleblower, Zach Voorhees. Zach is awesome. He worked at Google and he saw them suppressing the information so that when vaccine, and this is before coronavirus, vaccine information was coming out from moms about the negative impacts on their children, Google wouldn't play it. They wouldn't let the information flow through to you, the consumer of content. So it's important that we are empowered as a people with the information to make choices that are good for us, for our children. And the notion that given all that we see here, that we would be mandated to get a vaccine is outrageous. God bless you all. Listen, get the information, download this podcast. We're going to put the link for this entire inquiry on the uh, podcast, and it'll be on my Facebook page. Go to Success Happens Radio Show with Jen Charlton, and you'll find it there. God bless you guys. Have a great week. Bye-bye. News Radio 930. WFM.